Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Regan Kelly, and I'm joined by all my awesome co-hosts this week once again. Laura Nash, how are you doing, Laura? I'm so excited to do FCOMP again. You have no idea. Me too. Me too. And uh, Nate Heininger, how are you doing, Nate? Ditto. <laughs> and my bro host, Shane Kelly, how are you doing, Shane? Likewise. <laughs> And this week, as Laura hinted, we are talking about IF Comp 2017. So if you uh, if you missed the last week's episode, uh, it was an intro to IF Comp. So if you're not familiar with IF Comp, with the interactive fiction competition, um, I would recommend going back and checking that episode out first. This time we decided to kind of spin that out from our regular IF Comp coverage. So it, we're not going to spend a lot of time at the top of this episode talking about what IF Comp is or defining some of the terms you might hear today, like parser or twine, things like that. So if any of that sounds confusing to you, go check out last week's episode. Um, it's up there on your feed, and we kind of explain what IFConf is for new listeners and uh, um, talk a little bit about interactive fiction generally. We've also, by the way, done a bunch of coverage of interactive fiction in the past, including a episode way back in the 30s, I think. I have to double check the number. That is The 1930s. Yep, that is uh, <laughs> that is a intro to interactive fiction generally, and we've covered IF Comp for two previous years, 2015 and 16. So if you're interested, you can go back and hear all of that uh, previous coverage. I'll have some links in the show notes. But this week, we're talking about IF Comp 2017. Yeah, we played a bunch of games, and we're going to go sort of round table here through them, our first thoughts, and uh, hopefully... If you're looking for games to play for this year, um, maybe this will be a good resource. Or, uh, you know, if you're not even participating in it, we love it and hope that some of our uh, love is infectious and maybe you do go and play some of these IF Comp games. Yeah, the nice thing about this is we get to pitch games to each other as well because we generally try not to overlap too much. Um, but I want to make sure that we're you know stating right off the bat that this is not a definitive list of what's good in IF Comp 2017. There are a ton of games in the competition this year, and uh, we can only play so many of them. We're trying to hit the things that we think are going to be interesting based on knowledge of the authors or based on things like descriptions and so on. But this is not an authoritative list of everything. Or the randomizer. In. Exactly. Yeah, we're using that randomizer button. So if you have played something Thing that we don't get to in this episode, uh, let us know. We're going to be continuing with more IF Comp coverage soon with, uh, you know, talking about some more games that we're going to play. That's right. Tune in, turn on, get lamp. So if we don't cover today, it doesn't mean we're not covering it. Um, and if you don't hear something that you really want us to cover, please let us know. Absolutely. So I'm going to make the first pitch for Eat Me by Chandler Groover, uh, who in our spring thing 2015 episode, we talked a lot about Toby's nose, the um, sniff, 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 Sherlock Holmes's dog, uh, mystery solver. Love Chandler and, Groover. Yeah. His games, he's been really playing with what people in the community are calling a limited parser, which is you can generally just do, you know, one verb and an action. So in this game, eat me, you eat things. You just eat things and eat things and eat things. And um, when I was looking for games to play, there was a blog called These Heterogeneous Tasks who said this game looked fucked up and delicious. That's a really good description. I also think it's super gluttonous and grotesque. And I think that um, real quick personal story. When I was in children's choir, I sang a um, opera that had to do with cannibalism and it freaked me out so much like it completely disgusted me so much that I almost dropped out of the opera so this game where you just eat things and people and objects and it goes down in exquisite detail is both for me and not for me it is <laughs> because I feel it so viscerally and yeah. It's. I don't want to give you a trigger warning for a game about eating things, but you'll get pretty quickly if it's completely going to make your stomach royal or if it's something that you are so engaged with the wordplay that you're just going to keep going past the disgust. I kept going. I loved it. I'm in it for wordplay. Totally. I, I played this too. Um, and Chandler Groover, I think over the last, really, I guess, just couple of years has become what I think is probably one of the most important authors of interactive fiction 
working today. He's, he's done some amazing things. And I mean, in, um, uh, I think it was last year's, uh, we talked about a couple of his games, uh, in IF comp. The thing that that's standing out to me most in my memory is like, um, tag Heron or Harem, which was this thing he wrote. That was that horrible. Was, oh, so <laughs> it, I thought it was brilliant. It, it's a, it was, uh, it, but equally the horrifying. Cat murder game. Right. It's, it's a game where you're, you're, um, doing a, uh, really lengthy, uh, sort of ritual to, I think the devil, uh, by burning cats alive, very horrible to read, but the, the language of it was wonderful. And this is something that, that was really exciting when I, when I booted up eat me is that Chandler Groover does this style of like almost fairy tale, sort of disturbing old timey language. That's incredibly well done. Like eat me. The setting is sort of a fantasy world. You're, you're in a castle where everything is made of food, including, you know, the inhabitants, um, but it has this very sort of like dark fantasy vibe to it. That's a little, little adventure time to me. <laughs> Actually. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's less sassy than adventure time. Yeah. There's no breath of fart joke in this. It is very <laughs> much, um, you know, it reminds me of like, uh, Catherine and Valente books. He's really rich language books. One of the um, best things I think about eat me in particular is the personal, tone it says all right darling you'll try that my dear the conversation that the narrator has with you on top of the language and i think there's there's wonderful phrases like didn't expect your skull to spin are those your own eyes bulging or has someone swapped them for a larger size it's magical and i think the puzzles are just as good i mean it's pretty easy can you give Um, me an example of a puzzle that you can solve just by eating things all of them. I mean, the first thing you do is you're in a dungeon and you you do not know if it is a mental illness that is making everything seem edible or if it is truly you're in a candy palace. They leave it intentionally unclear, but you have, you know, cocoa man- like manacles on your wrists and there is a uh, angel food cake door and a cheesecake doors and you can eat all these things and all these people and, you know, people have heads of lettuce literally heads of lettuce and again the game doesn't say if this is your way of interpreting it you're actually just eating people raw or if (laughs) you are truly in a candy world where you have a bottomless pit for a stomach and all you can do is eat it's like that uh i'm getting kind of a um a bugs bunny vibe off of that (laughs) because remember when he was in that boat and i can't remember oh man bugs bunny uh, <laughs> he thought some guy's head was a hot dog. Good ref, bro. Great, yeah. Deep cut. Good ref. Deep cut hot there. refs. To me, it's like there's a Netflix show right now called Raw about a vegan girl who has to eat meat during some kind of hazing ritual and then goes cannibal. <laughs> That's yeah. kind of what this feels well, like to me. It's cool, too, because, you know, obviously we're talking about um, individual IF games, but wrapped up in this is just a general discussion of, like, the the benefits and strengths of interactive fiction over other game types. And when you describe a game the way you did, I have a really hard time imagining something able to be like a candy world and also deeply grotesque using, you know, video game graphics. So, uh, it, you know, language and good language and good writing is really the only way to make someone feel kind of the way that you're describing. It can go so much farther than Little Nightmares. Yeah. To kind of extend that, like if if you had the same... Uh, the same story or same sort of story in a traditional non-interactive fiction, it wouldn't have the squick factor, I think, of yeah. you actually saying, oh, do I really want to eat that? Oh, I guess I'm going to eat that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So reading a story about yeah. or a Wikipedia article about somebody burning cats alive does not have the same impact as having to specifically click to burn each cat yourself. Like, <laughs> <laughs> or yeah. playing a video game even where you're playing like a first person thing where you're burning cats. I mean, I know that would be pretty intense, but like I think where you are, maybe – I, maybe I'd be speaking for myself here, but the visual like gross out medium is probably all a little jaded to that at this point. Um, so this this sort of like put it in your head by making you read it and making you read what you're doing is is very unique and I think a a real strength and not even just the um, the gross out grotesque element, but I you know anything, but I think 
there's a particular avenue where IF is strong. Yeah. Now, one more thing just to say how polished this game is. Even if you save and load, it will say, all right, darling, let's resume the tale. Yeah. A couple of uh, quick things I'll point out about it too, just that, that stuck out at me. It, it has um, it has like a, a hint system in it. Um, nothing like amazing, but it had this this detail that I think was a sort of a additional hint system that I really liked. At one point, you can find a library and in mm-hmm. it, you can read a library of recipes and every recipe, not everyone, because I think there are more recipes than there are like major puzzles in the game, but um, many of the recipes are essentially describing in this incredibly like archaic sounding, um, like I once I once saw a thing where it it described like the oldest recipe that is known. Uh, and it was in this like middle English, or I think it was maybe not the oldest, but it was a very, very old recipe. Mm-hmm. And it, um, this read like that, but each one was essentially hints at solving the puzzles in the game. Um, so like if you're really stuck and you don't want to just like read the walkthrough, fortunately it does provide a walkthrough, go read the books in the library. Yeah, I'll say the walkthrough is super straightforward and spoilery. So I would say well, try the library. It's a walkthrough. First. It's a walkthrough, but it is exactly what to do. It's not like a Grim Fandango style one where it's going to say, "Have you tried? Have you tried?" Yeah. It is literally going to tell you step by step how to do it. So careful. <laughs> so Chandler Groover is great. Um, once again, unsurprisingly, and that's probably why it was the first game that I gravitated to on the list of games for IF Comp 2017. Um, what's next? Well, I personally um, so. To go away from these parser-based games, even limited parser games, uh, into the other kind of uh, dark territory of IF Comp, which is the um, the twine-based or web-based games, uh, choose-your-own-adventure-style games. Um, I, I tried several really interesting ones this year. In fact, that's pretty much all I've played so far. The first one I'll just mention because it took me about 10 minutes to get the idea. And I know Reagan, you also tinkered around with this one. Uh, this was a partial list of things for which I am grateful by Devin Gwynn. Um, so I actually quite liked this one. It's, it's, I, I love short games as you may be aware. Wait, no. And way. the, this game was extremely short. Um, and it wasn't really even, I would say fiction. I think it's, I would, it's firmly in the, uh, it's the first interactive listicle that I've found in this contest. Um, it's basically a interactive uh, game like toy where, you know, you're presented with a, with one item at a time from uh, Devin's list of things for which he is grateful. And what I like uh, about it, the way you interact with it is that every letter in every word is clickable. And so every time you click on any letter in any word, in any of these things for which Devin is grateful, uh, you're taken to another thing for which he is grateful, starting with that letter of the alphabet. Oh. And so you can do that and kind of explore around and navigate through his list of things for which he's grateful. And many of them are are, are humorous and, uh, you know, kind of cute. So it's definitely worth the 10 minutes that it would take for anyone to explore. Yeah, I thought it was cute, too. Um, it, it feels like a complete thing. So um, good for him. Yeah, I mean, I liked that it was so interactive in that every letter of every word was separately interactive and it felt like there was a lot of depth there. I didn't start to see a lot of repetition until I really tried to plug my way through it. So I liked it. Um, Another web-based game that I played uh, that had a lot more depth to it was the unofficial Sea Monkey Simulator by BJ Best. Hmm. Now, this is the first game that I, or I think maybe all of us have played by BJ Best. Uh, Did anyone... Play in Not I don't that think I so. recall. Yeah. Let me look him up. So this is ahead. a new one on me. But um, I was kind of intrigued by this one because, first off, I like sea monkeys. Um, second, it sort of calls itself out as being like, hey, you're, you're a kid in like 1987 and your dad brings home some sea monkeys and says to you, hey, uh, you want a fish tank. Well, if you can keep these things alive, maybe you can have one. And so it starts off really just as a virtual pet. And we've all, you know, experienced virtual pets at some point, probably. So mm-hmm. and this was a pretty simple one. 
Uh, you can do a variety of different things with your sea monkeys. You can feed your sea monkeys. You can uh, add water to increase the always dropping water level of your sea monkeys. You can reach into the tank and stir your sea monkeys. <laughs> Bad, um, idea. Bad idea. Yeah, that's what I thought at first, but you know, there's turns out not not that bad an idea. Um, and so, honestly, like it's not super heavily implemented, but it's just like a, a bunch of meters that go down and di- different interactions. But that's what all virtual pets are. Uh, what sets it apart from a virtual pet is that it also has this sort of fictional element of the uh, you know player characters interaction with the parents, and it actually has eight endings. So, um, the interesting thing to me about the game, uh, is the sort of overall tone. Um, it's got this, what, what I really most reminded me of was like a, a John Darnielle song, John Darnielle of the mountain goats in particular. It was, it was, it kept bringing to mind, uh, the song, uh, hast thou considered the tetrapod, uh, which is a. which is a song about uh, a young child who loves something, in that case, his stereo, and has uh, abusive parents uh, who endanger it, basically. And that is a fantastic I realized title. that that ooh was a really weird reaction. I just really love that song. It is a great it's song. It's not a woo song. By <laughs> <means>. <laughs> I cuts, love the title. Yeah, I've not heard yeah. that. And well, you got to uh, look it up. It's, um, um, it, people like Rainbow Rowell, that's... But they said that song is basically the book Eleanor and Park. It's the soundtrack to that. Hmm. That well, um, we're we're tying a lot of these uh, all of these games to songs. I wonder if that's a uh, a thing for us. But uh, so the the cool thing about this is that fictional element. But it also I felt had some implementation drawbacks. Um, the the story elements didn't feel connected exactly to the virtual pet elements as you cared for your sea monkeys uh some of the different endings and i got like three of the eight endings uh some of the different endings would uh clearly come out of like how well you cared for your sea monkeys so there was definitely a different ending for uh screw these sea monkeys i'll never feed them uh versus you know carefully caring for your sea monkeys until they inevitably dry up and die um but I mean, that kind of that kind of feeling of inevitable failure permeates the game a little bit, because as we all know, if you have had sea monkeys, it is impossible to keep brine shrimp alive for all that long, no matter <laughs> what kind of special food you have and no matter how uh, rigorous you are with feeding them. Uh, the first time I played the game, I kept the sea monkeys alive for an exceedingly long time, uh, but the second, third and so on. Uh, that I played it, it uh, they 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 really started to go fast. Um, the like I was saying, I didn't feel like the fiction of it, which I thought was good. Um, I, had, I have two two criticisms of the of the fiction elements of it. One is that it didn't feel mechanically tied to the sea monkeys, which I really would have liked. There was a there was a moment where your dad takes the sea monkeys and puts them out by the curb to throw them away. And I was like, that would have been a great time to like really kill off some of the sea monkeys. But I was doing that on my best playthrough and I brought those things back in and they were fine. So it really didn't feel like there was a mechanical tie between the fiction and the sea monkeys or from the sea monkeys to the fiction, like screwing up the sea monkeys didn't really seem to alter the fiction. It, it felt a lot like the text that you would get was just sort of being doled out randomly from a stack of random uh, pages of of fiction. And that's fine, uh, but it's not exactly what I would have loved to see. It was well-written. The uh, The parents are painted in a horrible light. Uh-huh. Uh, they are... Uh, both both of the player characters' parents are terrible, uh, and you can see why he loves his sea monkeys so much. <laughs> that's, that's pretty interesting. I, I actually... I love uh, when Twine games incorporate more... Um, sort of simulation-y elements. Um, yeah, I don't know how hard that is to do in Twine. I, I, it seems like it would be pretty tricky. I'm not sure that, I'm not even certain that this is Twine. I, I'm I'm not that well-versed in the underlying mechanics and technologies and whatnot. But uh, yeah, for web-based, you know, I'm off, you're often thinking, okay, it's Twine. And I know that Twine is mostly just like linked text. So 
I don't know how. It can have, I don't know how this it can have some like underlying, you know, logic and scores. And th- okay. I'm not an expert either, okay. but um, it, uh, it, it, I've definitely seen Twine games do some pretty amazing, complicated, very gamey stuff. Um, so you know, I, I, but I do always sort of like to see uh, more game. I mean, they're all games. I'm big tent on what game means, but I do like yeah. to see sort of more, more like game mechanics incorporated into Twine games rather than being strictly about like choosing story choices. Well, this one definitely has that. And if you're in the mood to play something that's going to bum you out a little bit and occasionally make you laugh, um, then this would be a pretty good game for you. Awesome. Well, the first game I played is a game called The Owl Consults by Thomas Mack, Nick Mathewson, and Sidney Hamilton. So I had a full team on this one. Uh, It's a parser game, which uh, I kind of did the opposite where, as Shane is where in the past, I usually would do mostly the Twine games um, because I don't really think I'm very good at parser games. So I thought I would uh, challenge myself a little bit. I get frustrated easily by being like, you know, examine room. That's not the right word. Okay. Uh, examine uh, room to the left. Uh, that's not the right word. You know, where you have to get the language exactly yeah. right. Uh, and that can be a little frustrating to me. So, but I know these games are pretty awesome. So I decided to focus on that uh, for these picks. And so the Owl Consults is a parser game and it's really funny. You play as a character named Owl who seemingly was a super villain or just mastermind in the past who uh, has now essentially retired to being a like superhero supervillain help desk where if there's (laughs) someone out there who's in the middle of a heist or whatever needs help, they can call uh, owl and owl will, will give advice, kind of walk them through this, the setting, walk them through what they need to do. So it sets itself up perfectly for interactive fiction because I was trying to think like this is not something that would work. At least I can't think of a way to make this work in a a visual game where you're just like sitting on a phone walking someone through something because you're not doing it. You're telling them what to do, which is perfect. So you're saying look left, look right, you know, like you're typing into a parser and then you're not telling you're not acting as the character looking left you're the person who's telling the character to look left and look right and things like that oh so, i see so you're like giving them directions over the phone giving them directions it's exactly what it is they've called they're in a predicament they don't know what to do and your job is to type in you know which is you are saying it over the phone so literally the little parser box where you type in it says line one uh, because sometimes you get other calls and you might take that on line two, oh. line three. And so you're switching between the lines, walking these people through how to get out of their scenario. So like, uh, you know, the first one, it's not spoiler, really. It's the first like five minutes of the game. It's a uh, a hero who can eat something and eat if they take a bite of any animal, they gain that animal's powers for a short amount of time. And this character is stuck in a stereotypical uh, cage being lowered into a vat with a killer octopus in it. And <laughs> they feel trapped and they don't know what to do. So they've called Owl <laughs> to uh, to uh, get assistance. Um, and of course, for a very, very high fee. Owl does not just do this for free. You know, it's a, a very, very high fee, which they as the game goes on, you'll talk about your fee has now gone up by whatever because the challenge is more and more difficult. And so the whole game is basically these uh, people calling you with the predicament that they're in, and then it is your job to get them out of the predicament. Uh, it's really, really funny. All the characters are over the top. Um, I, I definitely, I, I really recommend it. It There's, there's puzzles, but... The same kind of puzzle where it's like you just have to use the right words in the room, you know, so like there was a bookcase. Well, you have to make sure that you look at the bookcase and find like the card in the bookcase that goes into the machine. So it's not really ever necessarily like solving anything. It's more like using the elements that are there 
to their correctability, if that makes sense. Um, sort of old adventure gamey. Um, but it's really funny, and I'm really glad I've been playing it. I, I definitely recommend it. This looks really fun. Like this looks that that sound that's a wonderful premise. And it's really unusual to see a game made or crediting three people. Uh, yeah. Something that seems to be kind of like a, a standard for IF comp is that you know, the most almost all of these games are the work of maybe like one person plus maybe some testers or, you know, um, that sort of thing. But this has three people on the byline here. I mean, if I had to guess, and this is 100% a guess, um, you are dealing with sort of individual moments most of the time. And I could see maybe each person was in charge of a sort of situation, a hero's story. You know, the, the, um, the, the person who eats the animals and gains their power. There's someone who is immune to radioactivity uh, and, you know, so on. So I, maybe it's something like that. Um, maybe it's just a totally collaborative effort and they all work together. Yeah. I mean, and, and these names are all new to me. I'm just looking them up on IFDB and um, it does look like the first one listed. Thomas Mack has a couple of previous games listed, but the others uh, I'm not finding anything else by them. I think this is a, you know, this is a new team. Yeah, it's um, I think they did a great job with it. It's, it's funny. The language changes because it's very, it's very, very characterized because it is almost entirely conversation. Hmm. Um, any, uh, you know, mo- even most of the room building or the world building is the, you know, the person on the phone saying, I'm in a room with this. It has this, it has this, it has this. I've got my trusty blah, blah, blah. What do I do? You know, and then yeah. you can give it back and you'd be like, uh, shoot that. And it's like, okay, I tried, but it, it just, oh. you know, it, it didn't do this or, you know, hey, knock over that robot. I can't. I'm not strong enough. You know, the whole thing is like a conversation. It's a really clever twist on like what it is you're doing when you're typing into a parser. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it's pretty cool. That is very cool. Yeah. I can't wait to give that game a try. That sounds really fun. And it also sounds like the kind of humor that I really enjoy in, uh, in you know, interactive fiction games. Yeah, you know, it's stupid, but not in the, like, I'm not calling it stupid. Like, the humor is stupid. You know, the, like, the characters are so over the top. Everybody mm-hmm. is, you know, it's kind of silly. Silly is probably the better word for it than stupid, but um, you know what I mean. Well, that's a good segue to um, a game that I played and that so far may be my favorite thing from this year's IF Comp, and that's The Wizard Sniffer. Yeah, this is the one that I, I most wish I had I had jumped on when we were trying to decide who's going to play what. I had so much fun with the Wizard Sniffer. This is by Buster Hudson, um, whose games I've never played before, although I looked back and he has a couple of previous games that I'm definitely going to check out. But anyway, um, the Wizard Sniffer, uh, the the premise, this is a parser game, so you know it's all um, text prompt. Um, but it the premise is that uh, you are a pig. So this is, by definition, a limited a limited parser type experience because as a pig, there's very little that you can do, but you are a pig and you are uh, presumably owned by a knight uh, who is going to save a princess from an evil wizard. And the evil wizard is a shapeshifter. He can take any form. And so he's brought along this wizard sniffing pig in order to help identify the wizard (laughs) in the castle that he's about to to go into and, and try to try to, you know, save the princess. Um, so already that's a sort of a funny, fantastical, um, you know, premise. Uh, the writing of it is absolutely wonderful and it has puzzles that I think this is a great game to approach for folks who are new to interactive fiction. Um, because the puzzles are, I'll go ahead and say on my level, I'm not so great with puzzles. <laughs> and oh, jeez, so, okay, <laughs> yeah. So your it, level is the level of a pig, <laughs> uh, more or less. So you're you're a pig. You're only uh, you have very limited verb set. So other than walking around, you know, directional walking and um, uh, and uh, uh, just examining things, your only verb is sniff. You can sniff things. Um, and also there's a hint system. So one other verb you have is oink. And there's a couple of special cases where it does give you an additional verb, but basically you're limited to sniffing things. So, um, the puzzle action of the game is really clever. It's actually like fairly puzzle light, but you're being followed around by uh, Sir Leonhart and his squire (laughs) Tuck. And, um, 
they are both fantastic characters. And uh, Sir Leonhart is incredibly enthusiastic. And so anytime that he's following you around, if you sniff something, he will try to interact with it. And so will Tuck. Um, but most of the puzzles involve leading these two folks around. Sometimes you're leading them both around. Other times, one or the other of them gets stuck and you have to switch between them. So which one of them is following you matters for the puzzles. So, you know, perhaps you uh, walk up to something and sniff it and Sir Leonhardt is following you. He will hit it with his sword, um, but he can't figure out things like if you sniff a button, he's too stupid to understand that he's supposed to press it. Whereas Tuck can't hit things. He doesn't have a sword, but he's smart enough to pick up on things. If you sniff a button or something, he'll he'll press the button. Um, and uh, it gets more complicated from that. There's other characters that follow you around. What's really sort of I guess almost magical about this is that it has a ton of story content that is delivered in a way that, uh, you know, it's not utterly revolutionary or anything, but it's a, it's a really well-delivered story for a parser game because there's all these scenes that are, that are, that play out. So when you walk up to, um, to the, uh, you know, to, to a particular uh, area of the castle, um, a scene might play out where Tuck and Leonhardt, uh, sort of discuss the situation and you get some backstory about them and there's some funny lines. They make jokes. Maybe you go, you f- solve some other piece of the, of, of things out elsewhere in the castle and you come back and they're still talking and a new part of the scene plays out. Um, new characters get introduced and uh, you know, it very seamlessly has these scenes play out that, uh, you know, it just gives you, uh, you know, a few paragraphs of text that uh, uh, drive the story forward uh, and you learn a lot more about these characters than you do about typical characters in uh, interactive fiction games like this, I think. And the writing is hysterical. So I'm just going to read a couple of quick quotes from early in the game. I don't want to spoil anything, but I do want you to kind of get a sense of the kind of writing this is, because that was what really kept me in the game, even through what I would say is a kind of a draggy middle. Um, but beginning and end of the game are real breezes and fun to play and the writing is great. So um, just as an example, uh, you, you walk up to the moat and, you know, we're not able to get into the castle yet. And um, you know, your, your only objective, your only verb is sniff. So I tried, uh, you know, examine moat. One might assume the waters are only black in color, but the stench that rises from their depths hints at something much fouler. And so I sniff the moat. The moat is exceptionally putrid. So you pretend to sniff it. And then a quote, the evil wizard is hiding in the moat, shouts shouts Sir Leonhardt, drawing his sword. And with a mighty leap, he disappears into the fetid waters, only to emerge a minute or so later. Tuck helps him onto land. He tries not to breathe through his nose. What happened, my lord? He got away, says the knight, wringing black water from his golden tresses. We shall let him savor his victory for now. Like, (laughs) that was, that was great. And that's like the first scene. Um... One other thing that I want to just absolutely keep praise on this game for is its hint system. Uh, yeah, I mentioned that it's a game that's like on my level and for a puzzle oriented parser game to be on my level, it has to have a good hint system because I am slow. Um, and so uh, right in the first scene, there's a garbage heap. And if you sniff the garbage heap, uh, a couple, uh, which by the way, is full of old puzzles, which is great. Um, the, uh, these two fleas jump out of the garbage heap and take up residence behind your ears. And so at any time you can oink. And when you oink, the two fleas will offer their opinion, but one of the fleas always tells the truth. And the other one always lies, which is a brilliant way to offer a puzzle system here, because you know, if you're not sure what to do next, you can oink and the fleas will chime in and they'll give you two possible things to try. And you're never really sure which one of them is the way forward, which is a great way of, really just telling you what to try next without it feeling like a hundred percent gimme. Like it wasn't like going and checking a walkthrough. Um, you know, even in the act of like asking the fleas for help, uh, it was a little bit of a, 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 you know, a thinking moment to try and decide which of their suggestions was the right one, which I loved. It was a really, really great, uh, way to approach the puzzle system. So anyway, top to bottom, I love this game. Um, totally give it a recommendation. It really sounds awesome. It sounds like a complete package of constant surprises and joy and and hilarity. So that's it's awesome. It's so fun and so funny. So my next recommendation is not necessarily funny, um, but 
I really enjoyed it. And that's Harmonia by Lisa Daly. And uh, she did Stone Harbor last year, which was the fortune-telling uh, murder mystery. Oh, that was really good. One that I played, it ranked fourth in last year's competition. Um, and once again, she's using the same uh, platform that she made called Windrift. Uh, so it has the same kind of feel. Uh, Stone Harbor and this game have this really cool kind of chapter system where each chapter unfolds a paragraph or two at a time. Uh, you can click on different words and they offer annotations that are usually in another font. Mm. Um, kind of, there's literally like a little scribbled line to the side and the margin and, and little text inserts usually in, in different fonts or different people's handwriting as if like different people are commenting. Um, and this whole game, Harmonia, is uh, you play this replacement adjunct professor at a like weird female-only liberal arts college in, you know, Yankee territory, they say. Um, and you're taking over this guy's class who's disappeared on utopian literature. And you find out that the school used to be a utopian community. Um, and mystery ensues. But one of the coolest things about this, um, the Windrift platform with the annotations makes it like look like you're digging through different people's notes where uh, the – it's in first person. The author can comment on the work or you can be reading a newspaper article and click on something and see someone else's annotation on the work. It feels more like this game has feelies <laughs> than any other interactive <laughs> fiction game I've played. Um, there's lots of places where you're reading an excerpt and then a picture of it pops into the frame and that picture can be annotated. Um, it's really lovely. Um, and I think that a lot of the jokes are... Um, you know, it'll say something like students are trudging up and down the steps to their next classes and you click on the word down and it says it was popular to arrange one's schedule such that each subsequent class was further down slope. <laughs> <laughs> like the annotations are just kind of the things you think about when you're actually in a space. Um, you know, she mentions about, you know, picking books authored by women because the former teacher was a dude and put a bunch of men on it. Um, and they also... Uh, start each chapter with a quote from a piece of utopian literature. So if you've never read any, I've read some, this was something I had interest in, um, but they pick little quotes from time to time as like those thematic chapter openers. Just like when you're reading a book, you might get a little quote from, you know, Paradise Lost or something to center it. Um, I, one line I really liked in particular, um, she mentions the first day she's teaching class and she says, their undivided attention was disconcerting. I'd never led a class of exquisitely bred Yankee daughters. <laughs> like, it's that kind of language. Uh, the mystery's great. I mean, I predicted it, but it didn't matter because that's not what the point of it was. Um, few choices, but uh, the choices do branch the endings, so you actually do feel like they have weight. Hmm. Um, and uh, I was drawn in because it, it does feel a lot like digging through a library and you don't know what you're going to find. Um, very much the um, the platform and the way you play the game matches what you're doing in the actual game, which is digging through manuscripts, digging through archives. A really cool match. that, And it's only an hour, so um, probably less if you read quickly. Awesome. Yeah, I think her, um, her, her game last year was a little on the longer side. And I remember really mm -hmm. thinking the writing was... Um, you know, un, uh, especially good. Um, but I, I haven't tried this one yet. I really want to uh, give it a shot, particularly if it's a little shorter because, um, well, what's the title of the show? Uh <laughs> exactly. And it, it, it is on the short side. And I, I found that really helpful because it felt more peaceful than some of the other games that, um, it's not a demanding game, but it is well-written and polished and everything you'd want to go for. It just doesn't take as much out of you as, say, Eat Me. Yeah. Well, on my uh, run of somewhat somber games, uh, here's another Twine game that will uh, make you sad. Uh, <laughs> this one is... Great. Uh, this one is Will Not Let Me Go by Steven Granada. I really, really liked this one. This might be my favorite of the Twine games that I've explored so far. The overall story here is you are a man with Alzheimer's who is just trying to navigate his day and his relationships. And what is interesting about it 
is not only is well written, it feels very well researched, uh, or perhaps this comes from some personal experience uh, of the author, uh, who's a, a science presenter and a robotics researcher, or so his Twitter bio tells me. Um, I've never played any of his previous games. In fact, I can only find one previous uh, game of his, which was a puzzle game set in a space station. So this is pretty different. Uh, but what I what I found really interesting about this is that the Twine style and the, the way it's implemented really lends itself to that sort of exploration of memory. Um, there's a lot of things in the game where you know, the, the character might be having some word finding difficulty and you see a word that is wrong, but clickable. And when you click it, it, uh, it tries to, he's trying to, trying to find the right word. Uh, it also for a twine game has some, when I was going into this, I wasn't expecting any sort of puzzle elements, uh, and they're extremely light. Uh, but the puzzle, uh, that, you know, kind of woke me up to the, 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 that element of the game, uh, was just trying to find reading glasses in your house, uh, which, you know, you're, you're kind of fighting against, uh, his you know, memory loss through that whole thing. Hmm. Um, but what I really, really liked about the game was the way that the interactions with other characters were written because, uh, the main character has a lot of, uh, you know, obviously is, is suffering from a lot of kind of challenging issues and it really comes across in that writing. You, you have, uh, outbursts that you can't control. Um, you have, um, just obvious frustration, uh, a little bit of paranoia. Um, there's a, there's a moment where he decide he's talking to his son and, and decides that his son, uh, stole his reading glasses, uh, so I don't want to get too far into kind of the, 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 the depth of the game. Cause it's, it's, it's definitely, it's about an hour's worth of play play time for you. But, um, if that sort of exploration of humanity is something that you're interested in and the, what I found to be really good writing, uh, even, even, even amongst some really good contestants this year, um, I, I would recommend checking this game out. I, I really enjoyed it. I just need to find something happy to play, though, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Go play the owl consults. I think it might be the opposite of what you just described. That sounds so heavy. Oh, yeah, it was man. pretty. It was pretty heavy, but it was not so heavy that I didn't uh, keep on clicking and, and really enjoy myself. So, you know, something about IF Comp is that you know I, I sometimes expect that the sort of happy-go-lucky stuff will just sort of by the nature of humanity rise to the top as people you know, try to look away from dark things, but that's not really the case. The people who, you know, by and large, I think the people who vote on or judge IF comp, um, are, you know, pretty well considered and are open to all sorts of experiences. And so, um, yeah, I hope, uh, I, I'm definitely going to give this one a try too, because it, it really looks like something that's probably going to rise, you know, high in, in the rankings here. I have one more thing I'd like to say uh, about this game and just just about its technical implementation. Um, and this is going to kind of contrast with a game I'm going to talk about later. Um, it's so important today for you, if you're making a game, to think about how saving is going to work. Because if you're making a game that is built for the web and is going to be played over the course of an hour or more, most players and I'm just going to say me especially are not going to finish it in one sitting. So what this game did very well is every time I opened it, it asked me if I wanted to pick up where I left off and it picked me right back up where I went, where I left off. That is not common at all in my experience with web-based interactive fiction. Yeah. My experience with web-based interactive fiction is I try and load it up on my iPad. And this year I was really wanting to play a lot of this stuff on my iPad and so I had a bunch of these tabs open and I had more than one, you know, IF game going at a time. So maybe I'm pushing things a little bit, but I've got this fancy iPad Pro. And when I close it out and I close my iPad and I come back to it later, I'm in some of these games, it's a 50-50 shot, whether it will have taken me back to the beginning or not. And I guess that has to do with how 
um, you know, the tabs are loaded in and out of memory or it just clears my cache or something like that. I don't know the exact details of why, but this game was very good about saving my progress, everything that I did. So um, it gets mega bonus points from me just on that. And it's much more likely that I would finish a game uh, that has that than one that doesn't. Yeah, and don't leave it as a mystery either. This game, when you first load it up, specifically says, you know, uh, that this game will will remember where you left off or something like that. It says so. With um, uh, with web-based interactive fiction, I often kind of don't really know. And the not knowing is, like, stressful to me. Like, I want to be able to... That's, that's why when I have the opportunity to, I almost always load these games into a... Uh, you know, with the parser-based stuff, I always load it into an interpreter. Um, because there, I know exactly how the saving system works. Uh, and I know that I can save that save to a file that I can see on my drive or whatever. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a super good point, Shane, and super important. Most of these games are super short, but even with these very short, uh, play lengths, um, it's really good to kind of have that knowledge that if something happens and I need to leave this and come back to it later, I won't have to start over. Yeah. I used, uh, frots for the first time this year to play some of these, uh, parser games on my Mm -hmm. iPad, which was very convenient because I spent most of my time nowhere around internet. Uh, and, but I had preloaded these games and I was able to play them wherever. Uh, yeah, I love that. That's a huge so advantage good. for parser games. Yeah, it is. Yes. Although, um, you know, things like Twine games are really getting better with that. Although I think it is just some, you know, it's a, it's a implementation detail that the the author has to think about. And not all of them have the time to to make that, you know, a big priority when they're really just focusing on creating a good game experience and getting it in by the deadline for the competition. Yeah, it's funny. Sometimes you can see it's like some of these might be writers first and game developers, you know, maybe second, third or not something they would call themselves. Uh, And then some of them you see that you can tell they're really trying to play with the mechanics of what interactive fiction is and probably consider themselves like game designers and that with a, you know, a focus on interactive fiction. Uh, And on the topic of parsers, I played another parser, continuing with my attempt to broaden my horizons, and I played a really interesting game called 1958 Dancing with Fear. A game with beautiful cover art, which I'm very curious how it pans out. I really, really wanted to play this one, so I'm, I'm eager to hear what you thought of it. Uh, yeah, the uh, what Laura's kind of mentioning is it, it its um, promo stuff sort of presents itself as like a film script. Um, or like it's a movie, an old movie, and this is, uh, you know, it has, uh, the the cover art looks like a film um, cover. You know, it has like the uh, uh, who it's written by, the title's real big, and then it says a script by Victor. It's either Ojul or Ojuel. Um, I'm sorry, I don't know exactly how to say his last name. Um, but it was it's a really interesting game. Uh, there's a lot I really, really have enjoyed about it. Um, it does a fantastic job of setting a tone and sort of world building. You play as a woman who is a former exotic dancer who has found herself wrapped up in a world of intrigue, romance, uh, mystery. She's, uh, maybe a part of a revolution. You start to kind of learn more about that. Um, every scene is, is very, lavishly depicted uh it is a bit of a see i never know what to call them because they're not puzzles but it's the same thing where it's like you're going into a room and you have an objective and so it's just like checking the right boxes in the right order if that makes sense um Mm -hmm. and the whole game takes place in one night where you are at a dinner party uh, or it's more like a ballroom sort of dance and you're there at with a covert operative and you have to survive the night and complete your mission. Uh, it's, it's really, really interesting. I, I really, I went back and forth with the, the, the writing on it because it is very, I think I already said lavishly written. Um, and for me personally, sometimes it's a little over the top, but uh, I thought I'd read a little bit of it. So this is, you're in front of the mansion. It says, 
The night is warm black velvet with a cold di- with cold diamonds up above, hanging over the broad silver swirl of the bay. On the other side, Puerto Duquesa burns with feverish yellow lights. To the north is the great house you're standing in front of, on the edge of a rocky cape surrounded by sea and jungle. So the whole thing is written like that, and it just does a fantastic job of setting the tone. Um, it does cool flashbacks, kind of where the game takes control for a moment and steps away from parser and more just presents you with a story. Uh, you move between different scenes with these flashbacks. Uh, I definitely recommend it. It is pretty dense. It's all about this sort of world building. Um, so if you're looking for something that's not funny, <laughs> unlike the other one that I did, but really, really intriguing, I guess intrigue might be the best word for it. I, I definitely recommend it. Yeah, this was one of the first ones that really stuck out to me on the list here. It's got, I mean, you know, sometimes a good bit of art on the on the game listing goes a long way, but so did the uh, the description, which really stands out. And I'm really looking forward to giving this one a try. Yeah, you can tell that, uh, he really spent a lot of time like wanting you to feel a certain sort of feeling. You know, it's like a dark, warm night and somewhere in like the Caribbean and you'd say you're pulling off a, a heist or something like that. And it also stood out because it's very high on the alphabetical rankings because <laughs> of course. it's named 1958 Dancing with Fear, which puts it at second just below 10 p.m., which I can talk about a little bit in of a course. moment. Now, there is one thing I wanted to bring up with it, too, and it I, I don't know if I'm even the best person to talk about this, but you know the, the main character is a woman who is a former exotic dancer, and a lot of the game spends time talking about like how beautiful she is and how every, you know, person is staring at her and she's like in prison for sleeping with too many men. Uh, and it, <laughs> it feels a little, um, is it noirish or is it feel icky? Cause noirish can't, there's a, there's a weird thin line there between noir and like feeling like that woman is, in an unsafe place. <laughs> and that's where I was went back and forth and why I almost didn't bring it up because at first I thought it just felt kind of icky. Um, but I do think it's it's in service of trying to give that same feeling that you get from those old noir movies. So I, I think that's what the, he was going for. Um, I don't know. Maybe I, you know, I'm just really sensitive to it, but it felt a little maybe over the top with, you know, just how beautiful she was and how much and her womanly ways, you know, that phrases like that. Um, but uh, it gets better as the world gets built. So I, I think maybe it was just early when you don't really know what the the point of it is. It felt a little weird. So also looking at the very top of the list alphabetically, just above 1958 Dancing with Fear was another game that I played uh, that was, I, I actually am not totally sure, it was a web-based, uh, web format game. They might, it might have been Twine, but I think it was probably something more custom um, called 10PM, um, which I think is totally worth checking out. Uh, it doesn't hurt that it's top of the alphabetical listing, which is uh, honestly why I clicked on it. Um, but it was a pretty interesting uh, scene, I suppose. It has a sort of an interesting play style. You're playing as uh, seems like a sort of non-community, non-communicative uh, 12-year-old who who doesn't speak. It's not totally explained why that is, although he kind of um, it mentions that he doesn't speak anymore. Um, but he communicates through signs, which might be sign language, but what it depicts it as in the context of the actual game uh, is that uh, he speaks only by assembling sort of icons in a kind of a series. So uh, when you want to say something, um, it might give you a selection of different icons, things like a bird or a rope or an eye or a little uh, picture of a head with a check mark on it and things like that. And it never specifically tells you what these things mean. Um, it just sort of lets you start to try to understand this kid's language by giving you some examples. Some scenes will play out where you'll see um, the the story of the game seems to be uh, basically 
an evening in this kid's life, uh, this sort of father figure person who is not his dad, but is raising him, um, uh, comes home and they have a conversation about his day. And, um, uh, this, uh, so you'll get these scenes where this person uh, named Ty, Ty is speaking to the kid and the kid speaks back in signs. And so you start picking up on what these signs mean. And most of them make pretty good sense. You know, uh, the picture of the head with a check mark on it means like understand that sort of thing. But some of them are, are a little bit harder to follow. And then, uh, mostly uh, where it becomes really interactive is that then when you get to speak back to this guy, um, you know, and tell him about your day, you're uh, making choices about what signs to assemble and what to tell him. Um, I don't want to, you know, describe the whole story, but it has a sort of a theme of um, well, like a, a quote from it that, uh, that really stuck out to me was that the, the, the sort of father figure person um, who seems loving, but also really not, not a necessarily the best place for this kid to be, you know, says something like, uh, just because you love me doesn't make me a good person, uh, to this child. And it's, it's, um, it's interesting. It's, it's definitely about like, well, on the, on the content warning, it says profanity, allusions to sex and violence and unhealthy parenting. And I think unhealthy parenting is kind of the, the key here, but it's, uh, it's a pretty interesting way to let you, um, communicate from this unusual perspective of just being able to assemble these, these symbols. Uh, I think it's a kind of a stand in for some sort of sign language, but it's not really explained exactly what that means in the, like, is this kid doing hand signs? Is he writing? Is he drawing these symbols? It's kind of unclear. Um, but it's a really interesting way to, to play that out. And I thought it was uh, well, well, well done. I guess, um, uh, just to kind of round that out with a few other of the smaller stuff that I played, I took a little bit of time just to try and play some things that had short uh, playtimes listed. Uh, and the first one that I hit on was um, uh, the the Living Puppet by I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong, so uh, apologies in adza- advance. Uh, Liu Zhan. Um, so that one was a really uh, this one was really unusual. It's it's web based. It's a uh, it's primarily in the sort of choose your own adventure style where you're reading a, a, a fairly lengthy bit of text and then it'll give you a choice, usually just two choices. Uh, in my playthrough of it, I played it through at one time. Um, it, uh, I really only had two choices in the entire um, length of it and it, it's not super short. Um, so it is a long time between your choices. It is pretty attractive. It's got this kind of uh, it's got full music in the background and sound effects, and it does this sort of background thing where the the backgrounds are this sort of gauzy and blurred background images that change from time to time to kind of give you different vibes. Um, the story's really strange. It's uh, it's a story of a woman whose husband is some kind of a puppeteer, um, but he's unable to afford the sort of fine puppet that would make his career, and um, he then receives a living puppet from the the teacher who was once his master and uh, you have to make some choices about that the story is very strange the we- the choices in the game are are really weirdly presented so um for example like you'll read quite a bit of the uh, of the text you know your your um uh, your husband becomes distant after getting a new puppet and it describes how he's become distant from you and then you get two choices uh, in that moment that's uh, that seem like uh, th- so in that so it's just described how your husband is becoming distant and he's not you know he's he's going off and and you you know touring and and doing puppeteer stuff and then the two choices are become the living puppet to free Wu Sheng or punish him <laughs> for his unfaithfulness and it's like oh. become the living puppet what there's no there was no setup before that where you're deciding like. There's no, there's no explanation for that choice in advance. All you know is that he's, he hasn't been home in a few days and then it gives you the choice to become the living puppet. So it's giving you these choices that seem disconnected from the sort of in the moment of the text, which I think is a really strange way of presenting interactive fiction. Like you don't usually read interactive fiction where you decide on page, you know, well, page is wrong word, but like you don't really decide on page one about something that you won't find out what that means until page 10, you know? Um, but this, this, these sort of 
choices seem to crop up before the setup for the choice even becomes part of the text, which is really jarring and kind of weird. Um, I also kind of got the vibe that this was a translation. I'm not 100% sure, but a lot of the text was um, was strange in a way that had a vibe of being a translation, maybe from Chinese. That's my guess. Um, based there on- were multiple games this year that were translated from Chinese. I don't know which ones, but I remember that they, that was a thing that people have noted. I think there's at least two or three games this year. Yeah, it's it's, cool. uh, it's kind of weird. Um, it's interesting. I'm glad I played it. Um, one thing that... that I saw at the end of it, when I got to the, the end of my first play playthrough, that I really, really wonder what it meant was, you know, I got to the end and there was a message that says, there are one people ahead of you. And I'm wondering if that means other people that reached the same ending that I did? Are they tallying hmm. that and letting me know? It only said one at this point. I, 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 it also was kind of phrased weirdly. I didn't know what it meant, but I was curious about that. Actually, I think the idea of... It, if it is what I was guessing at, which is that it was kind of telling you how many people have gotten to the particular ending that you reached, that'd be a pretty interesting thing for things yeah. to do. So it's got some interesting stuff that it's doing here. Um, it's just it's just a very, I don't know, it's a very strange game. Um, yeah, I, I love the, um, anytime you play a, a bigger game that, you know, is choice-based, I really enjoy when at the end of the game they tell me, what percentage of other players have made those same decisions? Uh, it, life is strange style. Yeah, life is strange. The Walking Dead. You know, they they all did those, and I and I really enjoy it. It's just kind of a fun little recap to go at the end and be like, these are the choices I made, and I am a terrible person compared to the most of the people, or something like that. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see if you know some of these interactive fiction games might be able to do something similar. Though obviously the budget is considerably lower for yeah, it has to have can... i assume at least a server-side component for that um but yeah it, yeah it was it was interesting i'm kind of glad i played it um but i um very strange uh also one other thing that i played that was very cute very small and worth it for longtime interactive fiction or specifically zork fans was grew by charles uh, mangan if you've played zork you know what a grew is you know they're they're in in zork it is a, a creature that um, you know, haunts the underground. And if you stay too long in a dark place, it will come and get you. Well, Zork is a game uh, where you're playing as a Gru and your role is to eat adventurers. And what I think thought was really clever about it, it, it's designed as a very small, short experience. In fact, you're limited to 16 moves maximum. So if you get to the end of those 16 moves and you haven't eaten an adventurer, you have starved to death. Um, so you start it over. Um, but what's very clever about it is that you know, your eyes are useless in the dark. So it's all about trying to hunt and eat an adventurer using only your other senses like sound and, uh, and, uh, scent and, uh, touch. Um, so it's a real short, cute little puzzle. If you like, uh, the idea of that, uh, it's definitely worth a little bit of a playthrough. Um, kind of a, kind of a neat little game and really short for a parser game. You know, you only get 16 moves. I went through it and died a couple of times. Um, and then I, uh, glanced at the, the walkthrough and, uh, got over a little hump that I was on and then got through it and ate me an adventure. It was great fun. Nice. Well, congratulations. Thanks. I also played a short game, but it's not, um, delightful and it's not is not the right word for it it's a uh, a witch ritual game a ritual called a ritual <laughs> yes which is going to be probably the only joke in the segment um it's called uh and that was even Kalia, barely a joke it was barely a joke it's okay um sorry what was it we'll called round up tuli t-u-u-l-i um it is not it is a foreign language word um, taken from a, a song by the authors uh, Darmouth and Ruber Eagle Nest. And it is a short little parser about um, you are a young girl who is training to be a witch, but is not yet a witch. And yet you wake up and the first line, you know, your um, your mentor is dead and something bad is going to happen to the village and you're going to have to step up and do it, but you do not know the full connotations of what you are going to do. The writing is very stark and atmospheric. And I had a little bit of trouble with the parser knowing what to do at times. I just wrote the help, you know, hit help. It told me all the verbs I could use and then I was fine. 
very much using language that I didn't think was intuitive. But once I knew the set of vocabulary, I knew how to anoint or kiss or rub, like words that you might not think of right away work very well in context, but um, I needed to know the words to play. That said, it has the same quality of year walk where it feels very Scandinavian and dark and cold. You know, phrases like, old Maki is dead. She fell down the cliff, you tell him. You must send two men who already have seen death's face to recover her body, and then you must leave me with her. Wow. Straightforward and very evocative. And if you want a meaningful choice, there are some in this game. <laughs> like, you have to s- decide if you're going to go through the ritual and keep opting to keep the ritual going no matter what happens to you. It's great. It's only a half hour. And I think that just type help, learn the vocabulary set and play it through because the it really will take you somewhere. And it's I found it surprisingly moving and dark as hell in a great way. Huge surprise to me. Did not expect it. But um, someone said that they were looking forward to it. I picked it up. It was half an hour. And um, I ended up in a very different place half an hour later. Yeah, that's awesome. That that's a, uh, I mean, short games in general, but obviously with short interactive fiction, like 30 minutes, uh, it's worth it. Pick, if it sounds even vaguely interesting, the, the barrier to entry is so low. It's free and you're reading. It's great. That is exactly why I got into IF when I was young, because I had a Macintosh that was connected to the internet and I wanted to play free games. That's there right. That's right. Yeah, that. Uh, that's absolutely true. It's it was something that we could play on the on the horrible computers that we were still trying to limp along with in the 1990s. My computer did not have color, but it did have a super slow modem. Well, I think that's it for this week, but we're going to be back very soon with impressions of more games. There are almost 80 games in this year's IF Comp. Far too many for us to cover everything. Um, there are a lot of great resources out there if you're curious and want to you know, see what's what before the close of the competition. Uh, there's uh, If you go to the IFComp uh, webpage, obviously you can see a whole list of all of the games. Um, there's a great forum where I've seen some folks starting to post their impressions. Uh, so I'll try to have a link in the, uh, in the show notes to that. Uh, there's some folks starting to post reviews online. And we'll try to link to any of those that we see that seem particularly interesting. But if you have games that you have played or that you've seen or are interested in uh, that you think that we ought to check out, uh, we need your help. You know, we can't play all 80 games. Tell us what you think is best or most interesting in this year's competition so that we can play it. We're going to be talking about this stuff again in probably our next episode or at the very least the one following that we're going to do at least this episode and one other on if comp 2017 before the close of the competition so um let us know what you're playing we're going to be playing some more stuff and we're going to be back at you soon with some more impressions of you know more of the games of if comp so thank you for joining us on this episode uh, i'm reagan kelly and you can find me on the internet at reagan k that's r-a-y-g-a-n-k on Twitter. Uh, and of course, you can find our show on the internet at www.theshortgame.net, where you'll find our contact form. That's a great way to let us know what you're playing or what you're uh, what you're interested in. Or you can find us on Twitter at underscore short game. Um, also, leave us a review on iTunes. If you enjoy the show, uh, that's the only real way to support us. I mean, we don't do a Patreon or anything. So leave us a review if you love the show. We really do appreciate it. And I am told it does help. I don't know exactly how, but I do believe it. If you can take the time, please do leave us a review there. Shane, where can people find you? I'm also on Twitter at 8BitShane. And Laura J. Nash, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Laura J. Nash. <laughs> and Nate, where can people find you? You guessed it, on Twitter at NateSTL. And thank you guys so much for joining us on this episode of The Short Game.